to the MMA Fan Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Stu and Blake. Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. I am Blake Harrison and joining me as ever is a slightly tired, he's always a bit tired, Stuart Whiffin. Uh, why are you tired, mate? Well, I've, I, do you know what? I've uh, I've been awake. We're recording this on Bank Holiday Monday, and uh, and I've been away. In, I've hit fifty, and my midlife crisis was buying a camper van. So I've been away in my little camper van, and uh, and I've not had that much sleep. So uh, I'm a little bit of a sleepy bunny today. But um, but I'll tell you what woke me up. Our guest today. Because it's Absolutely. a cracker, isn't it? A returning guest. A returning guest today. By the way, when you say camper fan, for some reason my head goes to like Scooby-Doo. I can imagine you dressing up as like Shaggy, <laughs> going out with a big big Doberman or Great Dane Yikes. or whatever Scooby yeah. was. Yeah, <laughs> zoinks. Uh, anyway, you're solving mysteries up in the, the hills of Wales or wherever you were. Um, but anyway, yes, our guest today is the wonderful Paul Craig. Uh, Second time he's been on the show. If you haven't Mm. listened to our first episode with Paul Craig, please go and check that one out as well. You don't have to listen to that before you listen to this. You know, it's not like some kind of Marvel Universe thing that we're doing here. There's no rules. There's no rules. It's not all connected. You don't have to listen to that one before you listen to this one. It will still make sense. Mm. but, uh, But we suggest that you do because you get a great insight into... Paul's career, what started him off in MMA, and some lovely little uh, moments. It, 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 we recorded it just after he broke now uh, light heavyweight champion Jamal Hill's arm, and uh, they had a bit of beef beforehand. They then uh, squashed that beef, got drunk, and had a really lovely night together. So you can hear all about that on our first episode with uh, with Paul Craig, as well as all the other usual stuff we talk about. But this episode, we will be focusing on the fact that Paul Craig is taking a fight in London on July 22nd, but this time it's at middleweight. So he's doing, making his middleweight UFC debut. Uh, and so this is going to be a really interesting one. And we speak to him a lot about the weight cutting process, how he kind of scientifically sort of decided to make this decision to go down to middleweight. Talks about the process of weight cutting, the process of testing it all out, even doing kind of some kind of sparrings and stuff like that after the weight cut, to really prove that he can do it. really interesting. It's really, really interesting stuff. Uh, So you check all that out. And then we also talk about his upcoming opponent, Andre Muniz, who's also a fantastic jiu-jitsu practitioner. Some people will remember that he broke Jacare Souza's arm in an arm bar a while ago. So, uh, yeah, really interesting fight coming up for Paul Crabe. And And we have some fun. We have some jollies. We, uh, we, we, we ask him who his top five all-time fighters are. So we get a breakdown. We discuss all of his his picks as well. So towards the end of the podcast, we sort of start to wrap things up. And, uh, and yeah, so if you ever wonder who, um, who are some of the inspirations for, for Paul's fight career have been, stick about because at the end, we have a deep dive into them. Yes, we do. So without further ado, ladies and gentlemen, here is Paul Bearjew Craig. <laughs> Hello and welcome to the MMA Fan Podcast. And uh, we have with us the gorgeous, as always, uh, Paul Craig. And uh, I mean, we spoke uh, the last time you were on our show. I think uh, Stu was telling you that I, I thought you should have a, a career in, in broadcasting, Paul, because I think you're a very attractive man. You know, platonically speaking, I think you're a very attractive man. So we're going to start with that. We're, that that's, we're going in hot. Do you want already. me to leave you to, to it? Yeah. Do you want me to fuck off and Paul, leave if, you to yeah, it? Stu, if you could just go away for a second. Room, yeah. Um, no. But yeah, no, are you, uh, have you been in? Are you in the gym at the moment? 
Uh, well, I'm I'm eight weeks out for the camp. I think it's eight weeks this week. Um, so we're in full swing. We're in full weight cut mode. We're in dieting mode. All this kind of stuff. Not long back for Vegas as well. So I have to blow the cobwebs off for that. Vegas is one of these places where it's all fun and games when you're there, but then when you come home and have to actually do the work again, do the the hard stuff like the the runs, the lifting of weights. It's, it's horrible going to Vegas. I'm like, why did I do that? Yeah. It takes like eight days or something for my body to recover through the actual travel. So it's like one of these things where I'm like, it's all good at the time and it's big and clever at the time, but it's really not. No. Well, I mean, you've just mentioned weight cuts and stuff. And for anyone that isn't aware, the, the big news and one of the big reasons that we wanted to reach out and chat to you today was you're doing a really big thing by you're cutting down to, to middleweight for your next fight. Can you just talk us through yep. what the thought process was and is and, and why did you think All right, I'm, I'm going to try middleweight? I think the main thing, we always kind of thought, you know, there's an opportunity at middleweight for us with regards to, we're not the biggest, I like heavyweights. Uh, I walk about 100kg, I cut to 93kg, so it's not a huge cut. When you look at guys like Johnny Walker in my last fight, who I think was 114 on fight day, it might, I could be wrong, maybe 110. Let's say it was 110 on fight day after making 93 kilograms. Now that's like, that's huge yeah. in comparison to what I went up to. I'm up to like 97 for fight day. So if you look at the difference of how much weight he's actually put on through water manipulation, through diet control, all this kind of stuff, he was huge. And you could see that as we stood in front of each other. He looked like a whole different weight class. It's something I've never ever done is done massive cuts. But I think when I'm in the top 10 and the top 15, all these guys are doing big cuts and it, it's the weight classes are there for a reason. The weight classes are there because the bigger guys are going to have the advantage. So by me moving down, you know, like Pereira was, he walks yeah. about uh, like round about my weight and the pass is cut down to the 85 kg mark. So we had this conversation with management, with my coach, James, and we decided that it might be worth like let's see if we can do it so we flew out to Vegas done all the testing done all the uh, power output tests as a middleweight we sat down with the guys there at the UFC PI and they said listen Paul you are a very small light heavyweight I don't carry a lot of muscle if you look at me I look like a swimmer I'm really really thin running 100 metres I'm the guy lifting any sort of weights I'm not really that great so we looked at this middleweight. I can understand that, Paul. Like li- lifting the weights. It's, it's hard for me to lift the weight. I don't know if you can see the... Uh, Listen, I'm, the... Me, 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 me and you are built, me and you are built the exact same way. Like, like, <laughs> literally, it's, it's looking in a mirror. Um, but it's, it's it, like in having the, having the, the like, oh, I can make middleweight, me saying that is different from having the actual information in front of you on sheets of paper yeah. that say, you know what, your muscle mass is going to be huge, your fat content is going to be very, very low. So the only way to do it was to do a trial cut. We did a trial cut uh, in the house and it went swimmingly. After we did the trial cut, uh, I did the official weigh-ins and myself, like run through it all myself uh, with my nutritionist and then we went in and done some spam rounds in the gym. And going from being 93 kilograms, bulking up to 97 as a light heavyweight, we went from being... 85 kilograms, bouncing all the way back up to 99 kilograms through water manipulation. So we were huge, we were massive, we were, I could I could feel it in myself. Um, so we hit up the UFC and the UFC were like, 
really excited for this. So not only is it put a little, it's kind of rejuvenated my my career a little bit um, by moving down to 85. Um, I, I'm hopefully going to be an absolute phenom at that weight. If you look at the guys who are in the division, right, we've got some heavy hitters like um, the Italian stallion, uh, Vittori, you know, he hits hard. Um, you look at Israel Adesanya, I don't think any of them have got that fear of jiu-jitsu that I have. You know, when you go up against me, if you take me down, there's a good chance you're getting subbed. If you want to go into that world, there's a good chance. And the UFC decided that it would give me a grappler as my first fight, which is brilliant. So I'm going up against a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt as an 85er in UFC London. So I'm, I'm excited to see that, what this new adventure is. But also the... 205 is not done. The light heavyweight division is not done. I've still got a, I've still got a victory over the champion, and I've still got a victory over the number two and Majimega uh, Vankalev. So these guys are the top of the division, and I'm the only person who beat them. I mean, there, there's already a lot to un- unpack there, uh, Paul. You've sort of answered three of my questions in one thing, but I want to get a bit more, <laughs> bit more kind of detail from some of it, and a, a lot of it, I suppose, is regarding the. Um, uh, the, the the process of these kind of uh, uh, kind of let's call it like a mock. It's not a mock weight cut. You did a weight cut, didn't you? But yeah. like, yeah. So, so how how does that how does that all work? Are you doing that at the PI or are you doing it kind of separately to the UFC? So the UFC PI are like they're an amazing uh, they're an amazing thing to have at my disposal, but they're away over in the states. So unless I'm an American fighter fighting out of Vegas are fighting very close to that. It's very, very hard to do a weight cut there. So it's all remote accessing. So I would send them an email. They would then get back to me. We'd maybe have some dialogue over uh, WhatsApp, whatever the social media we we choose to use. But it's still that distance. There's still a good bit of time between us. So I've got a nutrition team here. So I've got got a nutritionist and I've got a strength and conditioning guy. So we worked it with us and our little local team with regards to my nutritionist. He's from Dundee, which is like an hour away from me. My um, nutritionist stays down in Sheffield, so it's much easier to get hold of him and it's much more sociable hours as opposed to me messaging just now and it taking like six hours for them to get back to me with the time difference. Um, Obviously, if they're awake and it's very late, then they're not going to get back to me. Um, But we did it in my house. Um, I've got a sauna. I've got like all the proper equipment to run it. And it was just a case of we do a heavy water load, so increase as much water as we possibly can. So I would be drinking something like 10 litres of water a day for the first three days and then reduce all that water. So you trick your body into thinking it's got excess water, so it constantly sweats. Uh, I also reduce salt in my diet, which stops the, the body for retaining water. Um, there's other stuff like dandelion root that increases the amount of urine you do. You would take like a laxative tea that just slowly moves your bills a little bit more. Um, other things is like reduction of carbohydrates. So we bring our carbohydrates right the way down, kind of focus on a lot more fats and protein. And then from that, the body the body just wants to like lose all this weight. Uh, I cut 10 kg in a week. Um, and that was, at the, that was at the extreme end. Because what I wanted to do was... I'm going to diet down further, so it's not going to be a 10 kilogram water cut. It's going to be more than likely an 8 kg, 7 kg water cut, which is a lot more safer than the 10 kg. But when we were doing it in the house, I was like, right, we're safe in this environment. 
I've not got a fight to worry about. Let's do it at the point where we know that it's going to be touch and go. I, I would rather have done it in the worst case scenario rather than the best case scenario because the best case scenario was fight time. So we done it in the for like a, a cut gone wrong, let's say that. We started our weight a little bit higher. We cut a lot more water weight. And I think it worked out a lot. Like, step on these scales, I felt horrible. It's, it's, I'm not going to be like, oh, I felt amazing. And it was great. Step on these scales, I knew I had cut weight. But when the rehydration process kicked back in, everything was everything just felt amazing. Um, so it's guys like, I use the Wilson Boxing guys who have got like, all their stuff is um, done through academic journals. It's academic. They're both scientists. So all the information they've got is phenomenal. Uh, and the same with my strength and conditioning coach, uh, Adam. He's working with the guys at the PI. He's working with some of the best conditioning coaches out there in the US. And he's just adding little bits of 1% to my game. And I think this is a huge, like, we always try and, every single camp get a little bit better make sure you're not slipping because at that point when you're not hitting all these numbers of being if your speed's reducing your power's reducing your recovery time's reducing that's at the time where you're thinking about let's let's hang off these gloves this is getting yeah. like we're, we're, we're over the hill the way all my numbers are sitting in these one percents they're, they're huge by working with somebody that knows what they're doing when I first joined the UFC going back like seven eight years ago I was playing at it. I had no idea of nutrition. I had no idea of conditioning. Um, the coach I had at the time was substandard. And over the last year, right, I've had two losses in my record, but I'm still fighting guys in the top 10. Over the last year, year and a half, I have leveled up massively in body composition, uh, stats with regards to testing so I think I'm just kind of coming into my own at the moment yeah. uh, Stu I want to let you ask a question I just want to just paint the picture for everyone because you keep using kilograms and I know fighters from Europe do and I haven't got a clue with kilograms so I just I've looked it up on my phone just now you're talking about right. cutting 10 kilograms or that that's the dangerous one you're saying you're going to try and cut 8 but you people have cut 10 kilograms or you thought potentially you would be cutting 10 kilograms of I'm assuming yep. water weight Yes. For anyone, so you don't want to cut muscle. Yeah. So for anyone that doesn't know about kilograms, which I don't, just to paint the picture, that's twenty-two pounds, which is over a stone and a half. Yep. That I just wanted to paint that picture for anyone that doesn't know, just because people talking kilograms all the time, and I'm like, it kind of doesn't land as heavily or as realistically. But in in what tell, quickly tell me the time period that that water cut is done in? Just the water cut. That's. So just the water cut, um, I've got all my data there, but from the Monday, we started the water load the Monday, and I was 96 kilograms, and we did the, like, by the time we diet and manipulate the calories, fat content, all that kind of stuff. By the time we hit Friday, we were looking at cutting six kilograms of just pure water weight, mm. so through sweating. So we would jump on the treadmill. So the first thing we do is do a, a long-distance run, so you would do like a, we call it a tempo run that will burn all the glycogen in your muscles. Once the glycogen's burned, then we'll go into the sauna and we'll try and reduce our body through water. Um, and that's like just straight up sweating. We'll be in there. It's like in between 100 to 110 mm -hmm. degrees. Body just keeps pouring out water. Uh, then we'll do a wrap for 45 minutes. Uh, and I cut 3 kg, woke up the next morning, did the same sort of 
thing where I jump in rather than using a, a more aggressive cut with regards to the sauna because it's super hot and it, it kind of it, it does take a fair bit off you in the chest. We do it in a bath, so it's a little bit more passive as opposed to the sauna that's, that sucks the, the water out of you. And then the same again, we jump in the bath for 20 minutes, jump in a wrap for 20 minutes, and then back in the sauna, uh, back in the bath, and that was t- 3 kg again. Wow. So it was a week, we caught that. It's, it's, it's crazy how fighters do it, but the UFC are happy with you cutting in between 10% of your body weight. So that would be 10 kilograms for me. That's at the extreme end. Uh, and what kind of functions happen is the throat starts to, uh, because of not having any moisture in, so the voice starts to change as your uh, your throat starts yeah. to relax through the muscles, the muscles through your voice starts to go different. Everybody will have seen the image of Conor McGregor talking to Ariel Harwani. I think, yeah, yeah. sounds a bit slower. So cognitive function starts to slow right down. Well, it's what Bisping realised with Max Holloway one time, wasn't it? He kind of, not not called yeah. him out, but he made it apparent during an interview with Max Holloway. Yeah. And it got people very worried about Max fighting. This is a couple of years ago now, I think. And yes. there was a, it became a bit of a kind of a thing, didn't it, in the MMA world about, oh God, is, is Max okay? Because this, this seemed like a really yeah. terrible cut for him. I think it's one of these things that's going to be in the sport. I don't think it's ever going to go away. Yeah. As long as there's an advantage to you cutting weight, and there is, there's a huge advantage, then people are going to do it. So you, so it's always going to be there. So the best thing that the, the PI done was rather than saying, we're going to stop people from doing these massive weight cuts, what, what they do now is, we're going to support you. We know 10% of your body is safe, and we can rehydrate you. Uh, and then it comes to fight time, you're going to be in peak physical condition. So... We were only cutting like, I think we were cutting maybe 5% of our body on fight week. Um, I'm not the biggest, as I said. I'm tall, but I'm not the biggest. When you compare me to guys like Johnny Walker, when you compare me to, like, uh, I'm trying to think of other, like, quite big, like, Glover Texera, yeah. it's very, very wide. Jean Blasio, it's very, very thick. Yes. When you see me standing next to these guys, I look very thin. I'm tall, but I've not got a lot of muscle mass. Um, and I've always kind of been the underdog in this division. I've always been like the boogeyman, and it's just been the submissions. I don't hit hard. I can hit, I can punch all day, and I can grapple all day, and that's where that's where I fit into this division. I'm the grappling guy. I'm the guy that can go take you down and sub you. But with, with the test, I just want to sort of... Uh, uh... As a person with a very deep voice, I'm hired all the time for advertising campaigns. But a deep voice doesn't sell B2B. And advertising on the wrong platform doesn't sell B2B either. That's why if you're a B2B marketer, you should use LinkedIn ads. LinkedIn has the targeting capabilities to help you reach the world's largest professional audience. That's right. Over 70 million decision makers all in one place. All the big wigs, then medium wigs. Also small wigs who are on the path to becoming big wigs. Okay, that's enough about wigs. LinkedIn ads allows you to focus on getting your B2B message to the right people. So, does that mean you should use ads on LinkedIn instead of hiring me, the man with the deepest voice in the world? Yes. Yes, it does. Get started today and see why LinkedIn is the place to be to be. We'll even give you a $100 credit on your next campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash results to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash results. Terms and conditions apply. Ask you once you've kind of got to the weight and then you've rehydrated during this test point, 
then do you how does it work do you spar five rounds five five minute rounds like what what, what's the process to see what you're capable of you know uh, in in regards to once you've got to that point where you want to be what can you do when you get in the octagon like what's the sort of process then so what we do is we are looking at the heart rate so the minute the heart rate spikes into these 160 170 180 ranges then we know there's a lot of pressure on the heart so once I made the weight, rehydrated, then it was a case of waiting at 24 hours, and we, we run it like a proper show, um, put on walkout music, uh, the gym was closed, it was a Saturday night, we all walked, the guys were there, coaches were there, I walked out in music, I had a few different sparring partners, and what we like to do is we like to do like a fight gone wrong, we call it, so you're getting a fresh man every single time, because it's fine if you're fighting somebody you know you can beat, yeah. But what we like to do is we like to fresh man you, so you've got five minutes of a, a fresh guy. So you've got to fight him for five minutes, another guy comes in, another five minutes, and we've done five fives, and then we sort of assessed it from there. Because at this point, we still weren't sure how this is going to go. Right, weight cut went well, rehydration went well, and it was all leaning on this. Can you perform? There's not much point in making the weight if you can't actually perform, mm-hmm. because that's what this sport comes down to. It's come down mm-hmm. to performance. So then that was the whole thing. Can you go in and do five fives with a fresh guy? And what we did was we can do it, and we can do it with uh, some exciting outcomes. Um, the gym I'm at the now at higher level in Bathgate, uh, I'm surrounded by some of the most talented young individuals in the country. They're pushing themselves to the next level. One of the things I said when I first started, 11 years ago I call it Wild West days where we were training like twice a day if we were lucky um, these kids live in the gym they eat they breathe everything they do is about improving when you look at what I am as a fighter you're like I, Paul Craig great grappler I'm a grappler in this division of MMA nowadays the kids in the gym or the when I call them kids are men they're MMA fighters. They're, they're not just grapplers. They're not just boxers. They're not just. They've not got these like Chuck Liddell where he was a striker. This guy's a wrestler. This guy. You need to watch this. Now it's like no, no. They're going to mess you up no matter what it is. Be it boxing, grappling, it doesn't matter. So the next, the new wave of these guys in the gym pushed me and helped me prepare for this fight. Help me prepare for that weight cut, which went, which went amazing. And then that's why we could go to UFC and say to them, listen, we can fight middleweight. We can also fight light heavyweight, middleweight, um, because it's all about opportunities. And the light heavyweight at the moment, unless I'm fighting backwards and out the top 15, then I'm not going to get any fights. If you look who I've fought and who I've beat in the top 10 with regards to I've fought Jimmy Crew, I've fought um, the champion and Jamal Hill, I've fought um, Ankalaev, I've fought Ozdemir, I've fought Johnny Walker. I think I've fought like five guys in the top 10 and everybody else is just outside it. So I'm like, there needs to be opportunities and sometimes you need to make them yourself or you're going to have to go back and fight the fighters you've already fought. I just want to say something as well. You just mentioned the the, the, the Scottish MMA scene that you're seeing coming through at the moment. Like you should take credit as well. Like people like you and, and Stevie and Jojo, it's, it's you yeah. know, it's, it's what you've put into the sport over the last sort of you know ten years. It's it's coming through now and it's having an effect and it's bringing next. You know, you're inspiring these fighters through. I think you should definitely take some credit for that, Paul. I know it's like there's a wave now of guys coming out. We've obviously just signed Chris Duncan, who got the victory in uh, London at the start of the year, at the start of the uh, the UFC, just the UFC London at the start of the year. 
So we've got him coming through, but there's other fighters there who aren't really getting the opportunity because it's it's hard. There's not a lot of there's not a lot of shows in the UK. There's not a lot of shows in Scotland, and and we're now just kind of getting these guys the opportunities that they deserve on places like Cage Warriors, Bama, and they're they're, they're, they're holding their own. We just need to be banging a bigger drum for for our, for ourselves. Yeah. To be honest, um, there's a lot of UK fighters. A lot of them are English and a lot of them are Irish. There's not a lot getting pushed in the world of Scotland. So I work, I train with a young guy called Sean Clancy. He's just turned 20. He's an absolute phenom in the gym. I, I, I reckon you could take him any, any MMA into any MMA gym in the world and he'll be able to hold his own. He's so good. So he's one of the kids to look out for. But there's so many guys like that in all the gyms in Scotland uh, and they don't get any recognition unless somebody's blown their blowing their trumpet but we're right at the front of the wave at the moment with regards to these new guys just breaking through and it shows like Dana White's Contender Series because guys are getting on the show with like five wins Mm -hmm. all you need to do is have a couple of wins get an opportunity to go out to America and you've got an opportunity to showcase your talent in front of the world and if you put on a performance you're getting a contract and if you don't put on a performance there's also the the next time and the time after that there's great opportunities in this. Like you look at Cage Warriors, the guys that come through Cage Warriors. There's guys coming through Bellator now as well. There was all there used to always be that kind of thing where it was Bellator and UFC. Now you can jump from one to the other, and it's not seen as a negative, um, a negative move. But yeah. I'm a, I'm I'm a dying breed of the world of MMA. Um, I'm I'm old. I'm 35. I've got grey hairs in my balls, man. It's <laughs> Um, we're, we're all getting it's, it's there, mate. Me, man. We're, all, we're all there. I know. Yeah, this is there. Um, at least your beard is darker than our beards. For anyone watching this on YouTube, yeah. you're, you're all right. I, I, I mean, it starts in here, doesn't it? Yeah, it starts in here. Yeah, man. I'm, I'm getting it, and it's, it's here. This is but this is my paper. son. I've got a picture of me with my son when he was just born. It's all jet black. A few years later, this is him. This is all him here. Uh, it's boys, just stress, boys, isn't it? Boys, seriously, pipe down. I am, I am winning the great beer battle. Hands down, man. Just for men. Should get a sponsorship there. There we should do, should we? Um, but look, Paul, let's talk about the uh, your opponent. Uh, I think it's July 22nd is UFC coming back to London. Yep. That's when you're making your middleweight debut. And I have to say, when I first heard that you were making the move to middleweight, in my head... I was thinking from my kind of a layman armchair coach position that I was like, Paul Craig at middleweight, that'd be great. Do you know what I'd love to see him fight? I'd love to see him fight like a Sean Strickland or someone, someone who's going to come yes. forward. He's not necessarily got like knockout power or anything like that, but yep. he's going to come forward. Paul will be able to use his size to just get hold of him, drag him to the floor, and then that's all she yep. wrote. That's, that's what I was thinking is the great fight for Paul Craig. But what you've gonna done is you've picked the guy that's like the best jujitsu guy in the division. He's the guy that he broke Jacare's yeah. arm a, a, a while ago and stuff like that. Yeah. So I was like, oh god, that's. I mean, is it? I was wondering to myself, is there anything in the Muniz decision where you're going, oh, I get to prove that I'm the best grappler in that new division, and that will strike yeah. fear in the rest of the opponents. Like, what was the process with Andre Muniz? So we looked at, so when, when the UFC, UFC can be quite brutal because the name that I liked was Sean Strickland. Yeah. I think it's a great fight for me. Um, tough guy, works really hard, but I think just my jiu-jitsu. 
when the UFC offered me a few names, he was the guy that was highest ranked. And we were like, well, we're, we're moving from light heavyweight because we don't want to fight outside the top 15. Why would we do that? Why would we go to a new division and fight outside the top 15? He was number 15. And we were like, right, that's the guy we're taking. Um, and I think our victory over him cements me in that top 15, like in the middleweights. And then everybody starts to worry. As you said, it did break Jacare's arm. He broke an old Jacare's arm, you know. Jacare's a tough guy. We've seen him in the jiu-jitsu comp where he's broken arm and goes on to get the victory. Is he going to do it to a young, hungry Paul Craig? I can't see it. My jiu-jitsu is slick. Um, he's, that arm Barry did is incredible. He's done it twice. I think he got somebody else with it and might have broke their arm as well. Like, he gets the back transition, so he makes you make a mistake where... He wants you to, to try and get back up. He wants you to get back up so that he can jump on your back and then he slides off the back uh, and then looks for that shotgun armbar. Slick submission. But what happens if the guy doesn't want to stand up and he doesn't worry about giving you his back? Like, I've got very good jiu-jitsu. For a long time, I thought I always doubted my abilities as a jiu-jitsu practitioner. But then if I look at what I've done in the world of jiu-jitsu and what I've done in the world of MMA, like, it's what I do speaks volumes. Taking Jamal Hill down, pulling guard on these guys who are very, very good. Like, I don't think you're going to get a better grappler in the light heavyweight division than Kilov. Like, I don't think Andy can touch his grappling. He's one of the best in that division. If you look at what... Jamal Hill did grappling wise to Glover Teixeira who is a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt with like credentials as long as as long as my cock he's um, he's he's the guy and and Jamal Hill made him look look like an average guy right it's an older Glover but if this is what I'm doing to these guys what am I going to do to a guy that I'm an extra 20 kilograms heavier than like that, that's that's the thing. He's not going to be able to bully me the way he has bullied other guys. He, he fought. Who was it? He fought. Was it? He fought somebody and they put him on his back. And he what, are no you talking about? I was, I was going to say that, that most recently he lost, didn't he, to Brendan Allen? I was going to say, did you take yes. anything from that fight and go, oh, yes, I know how was, to deal with this it was guy? Brendan Allen. Yeah. yeah, he looks like he likes being the hammer. Who doesn't like being the hammer? Nobody wants to yeah. be the nail. Whereas I'm the guy that likes being the nail. So you think you're getting the victory over me, then that's when I do my best work. I like coming from, like, if you look at my first fight in London with regards to getting beat up off Ankalaev and coming back, you look at my last time in London with regards to uh, uh, not uh, Krylov, who was absolutely mashing me into yeah. canvas and I still get the victory. You look at uh, Volk in London as well. Like, I was, I'm dangerous. Nobody wants to go there. And I think. If he takes me to the ground, I'm comfortable. But even if he wants to stand, I think that's where the the you're going to see a biggest improvement in this new version of Paul Middleweight. I think the, the striking through what you're going to see is going to be great. Fighting a southpaw grappler in London is going to be able to allow me to show how good my, my, my striking is. I've shown little glimpses of it. If you look at the last time I fought in London with Ozdemir, people are like, why did you go to the ground? And it's like, it's confidence in my striking. Yeah. When you're going up against a heavy hitter who's a striker, you're kind of going to resort back to what you know you can do. Um, but there was little, there was glimmers of hope there. If you see me fighting Jimmy Crute, there was glimmers of hope there. Anytime I get the chance to showcase my stand-up, people are like, that guy can actually strike. 
I genuinely can strike. It's just I find it much easier to grapple with folk. Yeah, I mean, what do you make of the the middleweight division at the moment? Because to me, it seems like with the, the uh, obviously outside of the the first uh, loss to to Pereira, which he's avenged. Adesanya has put himself in this position where there's not really many contenders. I, I feel like the UFC matchmaking hasn't been great with the Drickers Duplessis versus Robert Whittaker fight. Because it's like, well, if Robert Whittaker wins, are we really going to do Whittaker no. Adesanya 3? I believe they're doing a card in Australia in a few months' time. So he's going to need an opponent for that, maybe September or something like that. So I look at that middleweight division, and if the Whitaker DDP fight kind of genuinely does happen, then and Whitaker wins, if they're not looking forward to doing Whitaker Adesanya three, there's middleweights in there that you know you you could be two wins away from a title shot in that division because Adesanya has yeah. cleared it out, Vittori twice, Whitaker yeah. twice, Cannoneer, all these people. Do you look at that, and was that another motivation for you to go down to middleweight yeah. to go? Do you know what? I'm only a couple away. That is, we, we, we still believe we're a couple away in the light heavyweight, but we, the same again, we're a couple away in this division as well. These two divisions, light heavyweight and middleweight, they're a bit messed up at the moment with regards to light heavyweight still trying to find out who's the guy and there are people moving. There's a lot of people off, really. We're, we've not seen cry, uh, not cry love, we've not seen Rackets for yeah. a while. We've not mm. seen uh, Prohaska, the, yep. the the who who gave up his belt. So there's there's a bit of there's there's a bit of movement still to be happening in there. There's guys still jostling, but in middleweight there's opportunities. And as you say, it's two fights. I got a victory over him, and I believe I'm right in the top ten. I, I genuinely believe that. And then you put me up against another guy who's not got grappling in there, like Sean Strickland, like Cannon here, like any of these guys in front of me, Marvin Vittori, who. Same again. Hits hard. I've said it before. Hits hard, but grappling wise, he's 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 not in the same caliber as me. And as you're saying, when you look at who has got victories over uh, Adesanya, when he moved up to light heavyweight and we fought against Blashowitz, if Blashowitz had taken him down the first round, that fight would have been over a lot sooner. And I believe that my jiu-jitsu is far superior than Blashowitz in the regards to submission attempts, looking to finish the fight. Right, Adesanya's an amazing striker and Bobby Knuckles would be the champion if Adesanya wasn't there. Yeah. He's probably the 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 worst guy that for me personally, fighting wise, he's the worst guy because I he's a guy who I watched in the Ultimate Fighter Smashes, Robert Whitaker, and I thought, I like this guy. He's a he's a really nice guy. So for me, he's the worst guy I'd, I'd want to fight against. Yeah. Yeah. Hits hard, great wrestler, good good all-round guy. He's a guy I don't want to share the octagon with just because he's such a nice guy. But everybody else, they're all fair game. I'm, yeah. I'm, I believe that I can I can make waves in both of these divisions at the moment. Absolutely. Fantastic. Shall we talk favourite fighters, Blake? Yeah. To, uh, Let's if go you, for it. If you've got time, but we yeah. wanted to ask Have you got, you got yourself? Most certainly. Wonderful. So, well, basically, Paul, we're going to ask you if you can just give us your five favourite fighters, and we'll uh, obviously we'll have a chat about um, sort of one as we go through. But uh, yeah, are they in any order? Are they from like five to number one being your favourite, or are oh, they just five that you really rate? I think. I think right. the way I look at it is, it's my Mount Rushmore. You can't just have one of them, can you? <laughs> so my Mount Rushmore probably has to be uh, GSP. Yeah. So we're going to go GSP. Yeah. We're going to go uh, John Jones. 
we're going to go Conor McGregor. We're going to go. I always like Ronda Rousey for what she's done for women's mm -hmm. MMA. And the last guy probably has to be Jamal Hill. That's my Rushmore yeah. of fighters. Fantastic. The, the name that really stands out from that, I mean, there's a couple that stand out to me, but the name that really stands out as a surprising pick to me is Jamal Hill. I mean, we've had Jamal on. I think he's great. Yeah. Top fighter. That's it. But what what is it about him that makes him one of your, your favourites? I think he's the he's your every American guy, and he he's the guy that gives hope. Like he's not when you look at him in comparison to you know, GSP. GSP has the look, you know, he's very shredded. as the way he trains, the way everything's methodical. He's so different from what Jamal Hill is. Jamal Hill's this funny guy who sells himself as a showman, who sells himself as this funny guy. And when it comes to a fight, I've thought like. Right, he's going to get he's going to get beat off. What's his name? Uh, Glover. Glover should be him in the grappling exchanges. We've seen Glover versus Prohaska, one of the best fights we've ever seen with regards to grappling, back and forward striking, and then Jamal Hill makes him look like an average fighter. And you're like, well, I didn't see that coming. And then I believe Jamal Hill has this touch of death. Do you remember the Simpsons episode where it's like the touch of death and everybody's yeah. scared they parts Lisa's scared apart? <laughs> Jamal Hill has that. So when he touches people like Johnny Walker, he flatlined Johnny Walker with, with a mishit. Like it didn't, wasn't a full connection, it was just a clip. And Johnny Walker went full Mexican wave. Yeah. Um, we've seen him against uh, uh, OSP as well. Same again, he just drops yeah. people. So for me, he's like this new, new, back in the day when the guys like Chuck Liddell, who were starching folk, who had this power, Mark Hunt, who was starching folk with this power, He's this new wave of guys that are touching people because he's no flinging. He's not flinging for back here what these guys were doing. He's just bump and people are just sinking. And he doesn't look like he hits her. So that's why he's in it for me. He's the full package with regards to entertainment. And um, he's, he's just a good guy. And having experiences with him in the octagon as well as having experiences with him as an actual friend is that's why he's there. And I think he's I think he's going to absolutely mash Prohaska. That's my honest opinion. Um and I think MDL took us up against them. He's, he's going to match them. And going back to, to GSP, uh, who you shouted out first, Paul, was he one of the fighters that was a big inspiration as you was coming through in, in martial arts? I only started MM, watching MMA about 11 years ago. So when everybody talks about, like, when they speak about, like, Randy Couture, or they speak about these guys away back then, like, when it first kicked off, like, I had no idea who they were. It's because I caught... Like the guys when I started watching who were on a bit of tear were GSP. We had Anderson Silver who was a bit of a beast. We had Jose Aldo. All these kind of guys were like the, the that new wave of MMA guys. Yeah. Gone for just throwing and having the, you know, like the, he's a striker, he's a grappler. We had GSP who was going to wrestling gyms and learning basic wrestling. He was going to striking and learning basic striking. He had all these martial arts individually and then made them one. And then his his actual record speaks for itself. Eh? Him going up against fighters like he eh, shouldn't he be the guy who was beating everybody, but he was, and he was doing it very comfortably, and he was doing it in style as well. He's a good role model for guys in the MMA, and he for me was he's, he's a goal. He is yeah he is the guy. He's not getting any asterisks next to his name where he was like oh he's a cheater. No, nah, doesn't have any of that. He, he, 
he was the guy. Whereas when you look at John Jones, who John Jones, light heavyweight, absolutely cleaned everybody out as a young guy, cleaning out some of the, the, the old the old dogs in the, the light heavyweight, and then had moving up to heavyweight to beat Cyril Gain. And the way he did gives him still get, uh, GOAT status. But there's also that thing that goes along with being a fighter, yeah, a role model as well. Like GSP's the role model. Yeah, John Jones is not the role model, and in their sport, you kind of need to be both of these kind of things, don't you? Yeah. yeah. So well, you, that's you why like GSP skill wise. Yeah. Yes, GSP. Like, um, sorry, I spat myself there. <laughs> I was going to let you get away with it. I saw it, and I was like, I'm not going to say anything. But you've made everyone, everyone's going to rewind it now. Yeah. Oh, there it is. There it is. <laughs> so, but Jones, Jones skill wise, I think it's unquestionable. But when you look yeah. at like the asterisk next to his yeah. name, he was suspended through uh, USADA. He was suspended with regards to like drugs, running over a woman, all this kind of stuff that goes around with John Jones's name. But take all that aside, and you put him in the octagon, he's 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 one of the best. Yeah, I think it's hard well, to argue talking. again. It's hard to argue against. Jones being possibly the greatest of all time. I mean, you've got yep. your GSP. I think Demetrius Johnson is very underrated when it comes to these yep, types of discussions. Yeah, he's under the radar, isn't he? But I think he's there. But John Jones, it's, it's hard for me. I, as a fighter, as you say, he's he's got to be in the conversation. And yep. it's very possible that he's one or two wins at heavyweight away from being unquestionably the greatest fighter to ever step in the cage but it's really hard to not have that little asterisk of like the drug stuff but also the personal stuff like the whole thing in the hotel in in vegas when he picked up the hall of fame award and there was the uh the situation with his with his fiance and it's all in the police report and people can go and look that up It's, it's you know as a human being i suppose maybe a uh a diplomatic way of saying it is he's He's, he's very troubled. He's got his demons, and he's made a lot of mistakes. Uh, so yeah, it's it's hard to 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 sometimes pull those things apart, apart and yes. compartmentalize. But as you say, as a fighter, it's, it's very it's getting even harder to argue against him being the greatest. I know. Like um, as I said, skill wise, he's the guy. We're not going. To, we're not going to see yeah. another fighter like him. Who, who's going to do two weight divisions, who's going to beat Cormier the way he beat Cormier, yeah. I beat Cormier as well. Mm. I And having such a long layoff and doing what he wants and being that guy and what are you going to do? But then in the, the same sort of, the same flip side, we've now got Conor McGregor who went through being one of the greatest MMA practitioners, two weight champs, to now being a kind of sad you know, meme, uh, we send friends, they're like, oh, did you see what Conor McGregor is? Did you see what Conor McGregor was up to the weekend? And it's it's kind of every time that guy goes out in public, it kind of wastes his legacy. We see him at the Grand Prix. Was it, was it the Grand Prix, was it? Something like that, yeah, Monaco. And he's like, it, it, I, it just, it's heartbreaking because the reason I put him in my, my Hall of Fame, skill-wise, absolutely tremendous. But for me, he comes, he gets the pass for being the entertainer. Conor McGregor helped UK MMA beyond no belief. You had guys like John Jones, GSP, representing in America, and the sport wasn't big. The minute you had somebody like Conor McGregor, you got a full star there. You got a guy that could win fights and a guy that could sell tickets. And for him 
doing what he was doing in the UFC made the sport much bigger and then it made my job much more easier because then people understood what MMA was, people knew what UFC was. And then going through that, you look at, he made like the Diaz brothers stars because they fought and people thought like Nate Diaz was was something special and then they go away and look at other people's fight, look at other fighters, look at who's local fighting and then it builds the brand and it builds the sport in the UK. That's why he makes my Hall of Fame just for what he done for UK MMA and I don't think there's been anybody else. We had Michael Bisping and he'd been in the sport for years and I, I love Michael Bisping Um Love talking to him, love all the stuff that goes along with Michael, love his, his charm. He was the first champion for the UK, but he didn't have that star power that McGregor did. He didn't have that wait up to three o'clock in the morning to see this guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you look at other fighters in the UK who have got coming through, like Tom Aspinall, who's who still has that star power, still no McGregor star power, is it? Yeah. McGregor decides who he wants to fight, when he wants to fight, how this fight's going to go. If he's a boxing fight, if it's cage, like nobody else has done that. That's why he makes it because he makes the sport in the UK a better sport. So, on that, it, it, it's a great time to ask, which we, we've been asking lots of guests recently. Connor versus Chandler. A, do you think it'll happen? Because there's there's so much. Like apparently, he's still not testing yet and so yes. that's then going to put it six months away I think the season of the ultimate fight that starts very soon doesn't yep. it and normally you get the fights after that how do you think that fight will happen and if it does how do you see it going I don't think it'll go I think it'll go ahead uh, I think seeing you've, seeing you've got that much money and that much publicity around about you you've not got the hunger and the drive the reason Connor was so good at what he'd done was because he was doing the hard work in the gym without the cameras being there. He was getting up, doing the, the heavy runs, lifting the weights, grinding, grinding, grinding. And when you watch that first documentary of The Notorious, you were like, this guy's hungry. This guy's something special. And you wanted him to win because he was living on benefits. He never had any money. His partner had taken, had like basically supported him to live his dream. And you're like, I like this guy. This is a really, really nice guy. Whereas you look at this guy now, the guy's made it, the guy jumps about in yachts, he's not the man of the people anymore, he's he's the 1%, isn't he? He makes money through any touches, you know, he, he, like if he was selling the ugliest hat in the world, people would still wear yeah. it. And then, that's why I don't think he'll, he'll fight, because he doesn't need to fight. We fight for glory, that guy's already got glory. If you don't fight for glory, you fight for money. That guy's already got money. So he's, he's not fueled by any of this kind of stuff. If the fight did, does go ahead, did go ahead, um, I just think Chandler's just too much to handle. You look at, he's got heavy, heavy hands. He's in the gym training while McGregor's out partying in a yacht and Speedo's lifting weights. Like, like, like this guy, Chandler's in the gym, absolutely busting his ass in there where you've got a guy like McGregor who's drinking bottles of whiskey, doing other notorious things in the world of him. Uh, Azario Arwani interview where he's he's fueled by other things than alcohol. So like I can't see him I can't see him coming back. I can't see him being the guy that we want him to be. I know there's going to be a lot of UK a lot of UK fans that want him to come back and and prove that he can do it. But I just can't see it happening and I can't see him getting the victory if it does go ahead. Chandler's too much to handle, too much a good wrestler, heavy mitts, and get cardios for day. And he's in the top 10 for a reason. Or he's in the top five for a reason. 
Yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd agree with a lot of what you said there. And I mean, lastly, you picked Ronda Rousey uh, as a top five fighter, which I, I think is a, a great pick. It's really interesting that you could have gone with Amanda Nunes, which again, people would say is the female goat. She's beat yes. like pretty much all the all the previous like champions in that bantamweight division and stuff. Two weight champion as well, although featherweight's a bit of a weird one. Um, but you've gone with Ronda, and I, I think possibly for similar reasons that you went with Connor. Yeah. I I just remember that spell that she had when she had something like four title defences and accumulatively yes. they were about two and a half minutes. And you're like, yeah, this is she was, she, was, she, was, she wasn't getting touched. No. She was just grabbing people, hitting them with a throw, taking them to the ground and beating them up. Am I, I I'm a dad of, at this point, I was a dad, a young girl who didn't have a female role model well she did she had her mum but what I'm meaning is in the world yeah, of MMA yeah, there wasn't a yeah. lot of, like yeah. she, my daughter used to love Joanne Calderwood and I mean she probably if I asked her like she's 16 now my daughter if I asked her like oh do you remember Joanne Calderwood I remember she used to have this UFC glove that Joanne signed for her at some event um, I took her to the I took her to the warm the the, the they used to do like pad sessions uh, before yeah. fights before the, the shows I took it to watch that. But to have a female who was carried herself well, who was a champion, like that was that was my daughter's guy. My daughter loved Ronda Rousey. She had a wee Ronda Rousey t shirt, the UFC one that said Ronda down the side. So that's why she makes it in because I've got a, I've got memories of watching her with my daughter as a fan. And there was nobody else doing that at the time. And for what it did for women's MMA, you know, it, it pushed it because before Ronda Rousey, Dana White had had no interest in, in putting these fights on. Didn't want to see women's MMA in the UFC and then going for being in... He openly therapy. dismissed it, didn't yep, he? he did. And then going for that to now having an actual card where a female was headlining, like, that that that, that, that was brilliant. And it, sh- it showed my daughter, who still trains kickboxing, jiu-jitsu, still does all this kind of stuff. Do I want my daughter to be a fighter? No. But there was a there was a there was a role model there for her to look up to and be like, that's who I want to be. Yeah. So that's why she makes it. Right. It, it 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 took me back like when you were just seeing her absolutely just walk through opponents. It was like when you was watching Tyson in the late eighties, where he was just no one gave any opponent a chance. Yep. And I think I've I've said to you before, Blake, that the the biggest shock in 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 MMA for me was when Holly beat Ronda. Yeah. Because taking nothing away from Holly, it was like, hang on, that was not meant to happen. Like Ronda walks through everyone, and it was such it blew my mind that that this. This fight that seemed completely unbeatable was was beaten, and then that was pretty much it. After that, wasn't it? Like, yeah. and then obviously Nunes, and but I think at that point she just cemented she'd done her work for women in yeah. MMA. I it was an established. The way I look at it is, I look at it as like a bottle. Uh, it was like a bottle. Ronda Rousey was the cork, and see once that bottle was opened, there was all these female fighters come through, like Amanda Nunes. We had obviously the, the 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 women coming through and the Ultimate Fighter as well, but there was just this next wave of female fighters and the the divisions like some of the most competitive divisions in the UFC. And as I say, it just brings on that next level when you look at the who's I've shared the card with her. Her name is she was a soccer mum. Uh, we were in Brazil. And she got beat as well, but she was like a soccer mum, went to a kickboxing class. 
and then just became an MMA fighter because she went to a kickboxing class because she took her son or daughter to went into this gym there was kickboxing going on and then happened to be in the mix fighting for titles and that kind of stuff just because she what was her name it was long long doesn't matter uh-huh. but anyway it's like this this new wave of it just opens up the door for, for females to be like right I want to be an MMA fighter because as we said for a long time it was just men yeah. you just had men being MMA fighters no women no inspiration there for young females who were in the world of starting karate or maybe starting jiu-jitsu now there's a path now you can have a world champion now you can be a world champion in your world of mixed martial arts so that's why she makes it and they're all they're all there for a reason like there's times where that top five will change like Damien Maia for what he'd done for jiu-jitsu wise in the world of MMA yeah. you got to respect that and he he's interchangeable there's times where I'm like nah Conor McGregor's not making it he's out and Damien Maia comes in or you look at like the Gracies what they did for the sport like there's all these kind of things that that, that, that top five much like a, a film top five that it changes uh, when you start thinking about people's background and what they did for the sport because that's for me that's what a legacy is you can be the best fighter in the world but you don't need to be the best fighter in the world to make my rush more in the world at MMA it's an entertainment sport and that's how people make it entertaining are they entertaining are they an inspiration it's the next wave isn't it so speaking of entertainment you got a podcast right I have it's loud uh, it's 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 a bit wild I'm going to be honest I do it with my teammate Chris Bungard who fights for Cage Warriors and I do it with my friend Ross Cooper and uh, ah, it's a bit wild we if you like funny stories um that you can't listen to in front of your kids. Really, podcast for you. It's it's like you'll be listening to some of these stories, and you'll be like, and there's stories you can't actually tell on the podcast because they're just wild. They're they're, they're, they're wild. What's, it, what's um, the name I, of the I enjoy podcast? It. It's called Leathered. Leathered. Right. Well, go and, go and so check it, that it, one out. And in, in Scotland, leathered means you, you get battered, or leathered means you get you get pissed, you get drunk. Yeah. So it's got like a few meanings, and we've all been leathered. Like all the guys in the podcast have been leathered once or twice, be it through booze or be it through getting a fight. So the thing that I think makes this podcast work is the fact that we enjoy doing it. So there's just three guys. We jump in. We don't rehearse anything. We are an MMA podcast, but we don't talk about MMA. And we just kind of talk, and then we're like, oh, I remember that time we were in Vegas, and we ended up partying with Martin Compton. Aye, like, how did that happen? And then you're like, it's these kind of funny stories, and then we get fans to send in their funny stories as well, and some of the stories that people got up to are absolutely wild. And none of them are PC. Not not one story <laughs> that we have told on that is PC. We are not getting a, we're not getting a TV show anytime soon. It's just too dark. <laughs> Well, great to hear, man. Paul, we've taken up more of your time than I thought we would. We really appreciate you no, giving us all this time, mate. And just thanks so much. And obviously, thank you, Paul. Importantly, best of luck on the 27th of thank July you. when you make that middleweight debut. And uh, as always, we'll be rooting for you. We'll see. I'll see you soon, guys. Hey, thanks very much. There you have it. Paul Bird, you Craig right there. Um, 
Uh, I mean, that was fascinating, wasn't it? All of the uh, the weight cut stuff in particular, I found really, really fascinating. Like how he does it, the amount of weight they're cutting, the way that they do these tests, and it's all like as if it's going to be a real fight. Mate, they do the walkout music and everything. Walkout music. I just think yeah. like that is like proper prep, isn't it? That's like that's that's. I mean, there's a lot of psychological benefits to that as well. I'm yeah. sure. Do you know what I mean? Like that whole sort of full fight rehearsal, just that, that, that whole kind of visualization thing. Do you know what I mean? 100%. And I, I think as well, I would always think if you're fighting in em- enemy territory, I'd always go on to get a few people around. And as I do my fake ring walk, them to be going, you're an asshole. Go yeah. home. You're going <laughs> to you get suck. smashed. You suck. Because <laughs> like, again, if you're walking out expecting to be like the hero of the moment or whatever it is, yeah. uh, and some people are like shouting abuse at you and you're not used to it, it probably does yeah. like affect your brain a little bit. So I'd always do that as well. But, um, but yeah, no, great that he's done all the prep for it. I mean, it is, it's unsettling hearing how much weight people are cutting and the 10 kilograms and all that, which is, as we've established, like, I think it was one stone, eight pounds or 22 pounds altogether. That's a lot to be doing in like a couple of days or whatever. It's crazy stuff. But uh, that's what these people do. And as Paul said, this isn't going to change because people want that advantage. But I think Paul at middleweight could be great. I think it's really interesting that he's going to be fighting Muniz. Like, are we going to see these jujitsu scrambles and something really interesting going on there? Or is it going to play out on the feet and be this kind of like stand-up kickboxing match between two people that are predominantly grapplers which is always kind of fascinating to watch as well cancels it out so they end up fighting outside of their style yeah exactly and that is is fascinating in itself so I think that fight could be really whichever way it goes I think it could be a really really interesting fight and and obviously wishing all the best to to Paul and hope he comes out victorious and he could be on a good little run at middleweight and you're not far off from a title shot at that division Absolutely. And we should say as well that um, we, we got Paul back on, you know, essentially to ask him about that that, that move in, in, in weight class. Um, and if you're wondering, like, why we didn't really go through the questions that we ask uh, most guests is because that was Paul was returning. You know, this was his second uh, appearance on the podcast. So if you enjoyed that, which I'm sure you did, go and check out the first time Paul come on the podcast because on that episode we find out about Paul's entire journey how he got into it um, but Paul was kind enough to come back on and uh, and talk about the move to middleweight but yeah go back and check that back catalogue and while you're doing that subscribe and also have a look about it because Paul mentioned fighters like uh, Michael Bispin earlier uh, Bispin's been on the podcast had a fantastic interview with, with, with Michael Bispin and we have been really lucky that um, you know over the last sort of year We've chatted to a real who's who of uh, of the MMA community, so go check out that back catalogue. And but that yeah, includes that includes light heavyweight champion of the world Jamal Hill, who we spoke yes. about. So we've had him on the show, as well as as we've mentioned previously, uh, Joanne uh, Wood, now formerly Joanne Calderwood, yes. uh, Arnold so Allen, Arnold Allen, and Paddy Pimlet, Molly McCann, all of those guys. Uh, Alexander Volkanovsky was our most recent one, who was returning as well. So we've got two episodes with with Volk there as well. Um, so yeah, and that that first Paul Craig interview, if you haven't uh, heard it, is a real cracker because he talks about putting photos of his kids in the gloves when he That's fights nice. UFC, uh, uh, and um, 
what else is it? It was also just after his uh, victory over now champion Jamal Hill. Talk, spoke about the arm break, the beef they sort of had pre-fight, and then how they got over it all. It was a bit of a misunderstanding, and they went out drinking. And I think he said he got chucked out of a limo because he was so drunk <laughs> after that night That's in Vegas. Right. That's so right. please go back, flick through the archives on however you're getting this podcast, or if you're on YouTube, whatever, uh, and uh, go and find the first Paul Craig interview with you because that's a great chat as well um, are we done I think so mate we'll be back next time we'll be back next time guys bye